turn in our Bibles to uh, the book of Proverbs this morning, chapter 4. Sunday morning, studying the book of Proverbs together. And uh, if you're with us this morning without a Bible, just flag one of these guys coming up the aisles. We want everybody to own a Bible. We want everybody to hear what the Word says, but we want everybody to read it too. So if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you. Uh, today. Just a reminder as well that on Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and uh, uh, currently studying in the book of Acts, chapter 6 this evening. The air conditioning will be on unless we get a brownout or something like that, and everybody's welcome to come out. Proverbs chapter 4. Solomon speaking to his children by the Holy Spirit. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Keep your heart, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Hear my son and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the right paths. And uh, when you walk, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is uh, your life. Verse 20. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, do not let them depart from your eyes, keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you, ponder the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning that you are a speaking God. Where would we be if you didn't speak to us, if we didn't have your wisdom in our lives? if we weren't able to receive that, to hear that, and to live in that, what paupers we would be, what casualties we would be. So we know you're always talking, and we pray that this morning on our end, you would, by your Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear your voice through your word, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The book of Proverbs, as we remind ourselves, is a book of wisdom, and it provides us with the wisdom for how to live a life that blesses God, blesses our neighbor, uh, is a blessing to ourselves, and how to do so in the nitty-gritty and all of the 
uh, nuance and ups and downs of the fallenness uh, of this world, how to navigate this world in a wise way, in a world that is not wise and, uh, and, uh, and in which we need wisdom to be able to navigate it, fallen as it is. Chapter 4 divides itself uh, neatly into three parts. Each section begins with the same uh, phrase in large part uh, in order for uh, us to recognize that. So that tells us that chapter 4 addresses a single uh, subject. The verses that reveal the subject to us that are kind of uniform in a way are chapter 1, or rather verse 1 of chapter 4. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father and give attention to no understanding. In verse 10, hear, my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. Verse 20, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. And chapter 4 emphasizes two basic things. It emphasizes first the responsibility of parents to provide our children with a godly heritage, with a spiritual and godly upbringing. The second emphasis that is very important as well is it emphasizes the responsibility of a child who has been raised with the blessing of a godly heritage and a godly upbringing, being raised in a Christian home, to realize that that privilege, that that heritage is not something to be wasted, not something to be abandoned or to be thrown away at any time in the course of our three score and ten, but it's to be embraced and it is to be built upon for the remainder of our lives. First, we want to notice the diligence and the hard work that was required of Solomon and is required of any godly parent who endeavors to raise their children with a moral education, a biblical education, a spiritual uh, education, in order that they might provide their child with that kind of, of a heritage, that spiritual and moral education. In verses 1 through 11, Solomon brings it out. And so in verse 1, he declares that he provided his children with godly instruction. In other words, he not only provided his children with God's definitions of right and of wrong, but he further uh, rewarded their obedience to God's commands and then uh, disciplined or chastened them when they disobeyed those commands. Not to do it for, uh, on a whim, but in order to take uh, the truth of God and the, uh, the wisdom of God and to drive it uh, deeper and deeper into a child's uh, life, that instruction. He provided in verse 1 his children with understanding, not only teaching them right and wrong, but he explained why right is right and why wrong is wrong from God's uh, perspective so that they could recognize these are just not commandments that God gives willy-nilly because he's uh, prone to give commandments, but that there is wisdom behind every command of God. You notice in verse 2, he provided his children with a childhood full of uh, good doctrine. In other words, he showed his children 
uh, how God's teaching, how God's doctrine uh, applied to every area of their lives, area by area uh, of, of their lives as required as it came up in their lives. And so we don't instruct or give the same doctrine to a four-year-old when we're raising children as we do a 13-year-old, as a 17-year-old. They're in different places in life but we still impart doctrine to them. And as they come face to face with what is the next uh, stage in their development, the next fork in the road for them in terms of decisions that they're going uh, to make, and as that surfaces, then we bring instruction from God's word, doctrine into their lives and, uh, and instruct them in that way. And in the course of their childhood, we will speak to them about the importance of hard work, the importance of honesty, uh, the importance of uh, our, uh, proper speech, the importance of self-control, forgiveness, the importance of decision-making, and, and so forth. Solomon also, verse 2, raised his children with an education in the law, that is in God's word. The law, as, as Solomon speaks about it uh, there in verse 2, was of course the law of Moses, the Old Testament, the word of God. And so this tells us that Solomon, what he's imparting in terms of this godly heritage, this moral education. It's not coming from the world. It's not something that he has come up with or he's borrowed from man, but the education that he is imparting to them comes from uh, the word uh, of uh, God. And that's what he was imparting to his sons. And that's what we impart to our children. In verse 5, he, he tells us that he imparted his, this moral and spiritual education with the words of his mouth. And so he made, uh, he, he was unmistakably clear verbally in instructing uh, children. So children are not always in a place to learn uh, exclusively by our example. What is required is for us to speak to them what is right, what is wrong, the wisdom of God's definition of those things, and then for them to see those things in operation in our lives. But no parent is going to give a child a godly heritage that just grunts at the children uh, for 18 years and then gives them luggage for their graduation present and scoots them out the door. Uh, it takes verbal instruction in their lives and then in verse 11, he tells us that he taught his children the way of wisdom. And the word way there means way, it means road, um, it means path. In other words, once again, what God's wisdom looks like on the journey of life. So as we're making a journey, here you have a child that we're raising. A child begin, uh, begins in terms of our impact in raising it, uh, apart from nutrition, the moment that they're born, and then now all the way through however many years before they're out from under uh, our authority. Now as we walk and talk along the path of life, when they're four years old, when they're 12 years old, when they're 14 years old, and we just talk about life as we encounter it, and we uh, speak to them about uh, God's way being the way of wisdom. We just instruct them as we encounter life and as they encounter life. It's an ongoing 
conversation that happens. So there, there can be those times, and are there those times, where we sit our, our child down and we say, okay, the next half hour is going to be given over uh, to this, and there are places for, for that. But uh, it, it isn't just limited to those kind of pockets. It is just talking about uh, wisdom, talking about the Lord, His ways. How do you see that? What do you think? And the world has given us ample kind of craziness around us to see uh, you know, what, uh, what happens when you go sideways or a lack of wisdom to talk over with our children and then talk about God's wisdom in contrast to it. And the Jews, they, uh, God gave them instruction to make this a method of instruction for their children under the law of Moses. God spoke through Moses and the law, Deuteron- Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. And these words which I command you shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So there's that constant, through the whole course of life, things come up, and then talking about uh, the way of wisdom. Further in verse 11, he tells us that he not only taught his children about the right paths in life, but he lived that kind of life uh, himself. They got to see it modeled uh, in his life. All of us, some of us are, uh, we're all in a different place on the spectrum in terms of some of us learn uh, maybe better with verbal instruction. Um, some kids, it's really hard for, you know, verbal things and coming that way, but they really learn by example and, and watch. And so what we want to do, the best way to teach a child is to speak the truth of God to them verbally and then them also to see it lived out uh, in our lives and the wisdom of, uh, of, of it uh, exemplified in our Uh, our lives. We notice a number of things here in these 11 verses. And first in verses 3 and 4, we notice that Solomon is very keen to let us know that his father, and Solomon's father was King David, uh, had done this uh, for him, had raised him in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so we see this once and again in the book of Proverbs. Uh, we've seen it in chapter one already, but the em- uh, reemphasizing that the supreme responsibility for the moral and spiritual education of our children is the parent. It is not to be left to the culture. It's not to be left to the schools, not to be left to entertainment for sure, not to be left even to children's church within a church uh, supremely. It's a parent's uh, responsibility. Now you think about that, that David and Solomon is very specific here to let us know that it wasn't just his mother, but that it was his father, King David. Think about David, how busy is the king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel next to Jesus, the greatest king of Israel, and yet he takes the time out of what is an impossibly busy schedule, and he makes sure that he's the one that produces this into this heritage into the life uh, of of his son to provide him with that Solomon with that instruction and that education uh, in his life. We also notice here 
that as we raise our children, there is also the consciousness that we can very well be raising our grandchildren at the same time. Because how often it is that we raise our children in a certain way, and then when they have children, they will model after what it is that they have watched us model and do uh, in, in their lives. Solomon lets us know here in regard to this, again, careful to let us know that he simply did in his children's lives uh, what his father had first done uh, in his life. It's very important to recognize in chapter four here that there are three generations represented, not just two generations. There is David, there is Solomon, and then there is Solomon's children, and there's a reason for that. Second thing that we learn in these early verses is that as parents, uh, if you're still raising children at home, you notice the immense work and sacrifice that has always been required of godly parents to raise their children and provide them with a godly heritage. Solomon talks about what was required of him in the context of Israel, in the context of a theocracy, uh, a very moral culture, and yet the work that was required of him uh, and he took on to himself in order to provide his children uh, with that. And so if you think it's difficult and massively time-consuming to provide, uh, raise your child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, Solomon is letting you know uh, that you're not crazy. And sometimes it's just nice to know that you're not crazy uh, in life, that it's not uh, weird or this is uh, unduly hard. Every once in a while, I'll, uh, you know, when I read whatever, and uh, they'll come out with one of those studies where they will tell us what it costs us to raise a child um, from birth onward. And so the food, the clothing, the shelter, um, the, the uh, medical side of things, and they come up with this number every so often which they adjust for um, inflation. So last time it was somewhere between uh, $250,000 and $500,000, somewhere in, in that range. But they never ever in that calculation count up the number of hours if you had to pay an hourly wage. That investment of a godly parent into a child at enormous sacrifice to themselves to provide them with this uh, kind of, uh, of a heritage. The third thing that we notice is that if we've been blessed with a godly heritage, we then have a responsibility to pass that godly heritage on to our children. In the 40 years that I have been a pastor, over and over again, I've seen this mistake made by parents, where you have two parents and uh, they've been raised with a godly heritage, incredible ex uh, sacrifices have been made on the part of their parents to deliver them into adult life with that godly uh, heritage, 
and, and laying that biblical foundation in their lives. It was done at home. It was done at church. It was done in children's church and youth group and youth Bible studies and special events. And they grow into adult life and they acknowledge the importance of that Christian heritage in their life, that godly heritage. And not only do they not acknowledge it, but they're sincerely grateful for it, for this firm foundation in their lives, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of right and wrong, uh, all of these things that now inform their decision-making in their adult life, and, and it allows them then to navigate life in this fallen world in a safe way, and, and it results in a great blessing in their life. They will acknowledge all of that. And, but with their children, their own children, they will become sporadic in nurturing this spiritual education uh, in them. And they become sporadic in then bringing them to church and fellowship and uh, uh, being a part of, uh, of what they will learn in children's church and youth group on top of what is being learned uh, at home. Or what happens so often uh, in, in addition to sporadic kind of attendance and opportunities related to and, and need to be a part of a child's godly heritage, so often the child uh, joins a, a travel soccer team or basketball team or a softball uh, team uh, that, that uh, requires them to be present virtually every Sunday for long months of every single year in the hopes of a scholarship or they'll, they will sacrifice the Sundays uh, related to even issues that have nothing to do with sports, but they still require uh, that, uh, that, that interest be placed above uh, providing the children with a godly heritage. And pretty soon what happens is the parents blink, uh, the children's childhood and their youth is gone, the single most formative time in their life for the things of God is completely uh, gone and they have failed to do for their own children what others did for them. And the opportunity is passed. They've now denied their children a godly heritage. The very thing that they enjoy, the very thing that keeps them safe and this foundation in, in uh, their lives as parents that has served them so well. And it's a tragedy. And it happens all of the time. I, I think about Daniel and, and his friends, three friends in uh, that Babylonian captivity, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this, in this regard. They're taken captive as youths. Uh, from the city of Jerusalem, taken captive to uh, Babylon. And, and when they were dropped into Babylon, they were dropped into idolatry central. They were dropped down into paganism central in that period of the ancient world in history. And yet they stood strong in the midst of, of all of it. And they even prospered spiritually in that environment. And as parents... Uh, this is so, this is why it's so important to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because we have no idea where life is going to take them. We have no idea what this world is going to look like in six months. 
and what they're going to need in terms of uh, this kind of a heritage uh, within uh, their lives. And if your child is presently, you're now an adult, you've raised your children to adult life, and they're presently wasting the godly heritage that you have provided to them as an adult, at least then we have the peace of knowing that we, they, that we have put their, this in their lives. That is something for God to work with by His Holy Spirit on a daily basis to draw them uh, back to their heritage. No parent who has had the privilege of a godly heritage, a Christian upbringing, should deny their children that same heritage and the blessings of that heritage. Now, I know full well that in saying this, that this can really sting depending on where our lives are and where we sit on this. But what's the alternative? To make it as we can make anything. If it were medicine, it would do no good. If it were poison, it couldn't harm you. It has to be said. And it has to be said in our culture, which fights against this kind of thing related to our lives and, and, and providing this to our children. And so God says it, and Solomon says it. The fourth thing that we notice is for children and youth that are still living at home, and to just stop and to consider the astonishing sacrifice, the astonishing amount of work that is being made by your parents in order that you might be able to enter into adult life with godly character and with godly wisdom, a moral education, to say nothing of a, a personal relationship with God, and to respect them for that, to hold them in the highest regard uh, for that. There's a whole world of people who could wish for those kind of parents and that kind of a childhood, to be raised by loving parents in the safety of a godly home, and to resist then how the world wants us to paint ourselves as a result of having a godly heritage that somehow we're a victim of those kind of parents and that kind of a heritage in home just because our parents wouldn't let us destroy ourselves in our childhood before we even knew what life was, was all uh, about. The fifth thing that we notice here for those of us uh, as adults, and we can look back upon our lives and, and recognize the attempt of our parents to raise us according to God's truth. Some attempt to do that, uh, to let a, and, uh, and, and to however imperfect they might have been related to that. David was not perfect, not as a parent, not as a man. Solomon was not perfect, not as a parent, not as a man. No parent is perfect. But if we enter into adult life knowing that God is real, knowing that there are definitions of right and wrong and understanding the wisdom of those definitions and, and, 
and, and that has been built into our lives than to just stop and to thank God, even in our adult life, for those parents. And just to acknowledge the sacrifice that was made to provide us with that education. My mother, uh, in, my mother uh, suffered from mental health issues. And, and I couldn't understand, all I could see it as a child and as a young adult, all I could see it is how, from how it cost me early in my life uh, or how I thought it did. And then you get older and now I can look back and look at her from a, a different perspective and to realize um, how hard every single day was for her to get through another day and wake up and get through another day. And yet, when she was able, very sporadically, she would take us to church, Valley Bible Chapel in Napa, California, Plymouth Brethren background, take us to church so that she could give us the best godly heritage that she knew how to do. And the four, four kids of us that were raised in the household at that time, we entered into adult life. We didn't know a ton, but we knew there was a God, and we knew that the Bible was the Word of God, and we knew that God was the only one that it was, knew what He was talking about in life, and He was to be obeyed. So that when we win our own different ways as we reached adult life and thought that we were smarter than God, that when we finally realized we weren't, that because of that godly heritage, we knew where to turn. We knew to turn back to God, the God of the Bible. It is one thing for a child to be raised in a home in which they don't even have that. And they're raised in, in that home, and then they hit the crises of life, and now they begin the search for God, the search for all of these voices in the world that are claiming to speak for God, all of these gods claiming to be God. And that's their starting point. And however incomplete the heritage that we may have, if knowing where to start, who to come back to, has been built into our lives, we have reason for thanksgiving related to our parents and that godly heritage. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian and there's no Christian heritage in your family, then become a Christian today and begin that heritage. Every single family that has a Christian heritage where it's gone from grandparent to parent then to child and even further uh, back in some cases, somebody along the line had to uh, stop and become a Christian themselves and then to begin to raise their family in these things and begin that heritage. And so the possibility, the blessing of being able to do that and, and begin that heritage in your family going forward. If you were raised with a godly heritage and you rejected it and you had to prove for yourself what the Bible says, and that is the way of the transgressor uh, is hard, then this teaches us to come back to it and to come back to the wisdom of God, to come back to the peace and the safety that is found in that wisdom.
The second thing that we notice in this passage, in the bigger, uh, grander scheme of things, is we notice that once again, Solomon does, as he did in chapter one, he reminds his children of the blessings that are bound up in God's wisdom. So we could look and say, well, he already did this in chapter one. You never stop saying that to your children. We never stop reminding them of the blessings of this life. And so often I can look at all the restrictions that are upon and all of this. Wait a second. Here are the blessings that are here. I need to be reminded of it as an adult. And so certainly our children do as well. The blessings of obeying God's commandments and of a godly heritage. And he lists them, and I won't go into any kind of depth with them uh, concerning them, but just to take note of them. He says in verse 4, wisdom gives life, not just eternal life, but life here. Uh, Wisdom, verse 6, she shall uh, preserve you. Uh, Verse 6, she will keep you. Verse 8, she will promote you. Uh, verse 8, she will bring you honor. You will, it, she will bring an honor into your life that you would never otherwise know. Uh, verse 9, she will adorn us with an ornament of grace. Uh, verse 9, she will adorn us with a crown of glory. That is a, a, the crown of a good reputation. Verse 10, her disciples enjoy long life, relatively speaking. Verse 12, Her disciples live a life of unhindered uh, steps, a life that is not cramped uh, by sin. It's not narrowed by sin. And of course, we live in this culture that is at war against God and his his commands because that's the great obstacle to uh, the things that uh, people want to do. And, uh, and so the, the great high definition in our Western culture, superficial, but a, a high definition is that freedom is being able, true freedom is being able to uh, freely choose the sin that I'm going to put myself into bondage to. And that's no kind of a freedom uh, at, at, at all. And, and it is the Christian life that allows us to live life as God intended, in the fullness of God, what God intends it to be, in our heart, our mind, our soul, and in our strength. Everything else is cramped. Everything else is narrow. And the whole thing's been flipped on its head, and Christianity, or godly heritage, is, is what is being uh, sometimes successfully defined in that way. And Solomon reminds his children that it is the exact opposite it is true. And then in verse 12, he uh, declares to his children that wisdom's disciples run without stumbling. No one uh, obeying God's word, living according to this heritage, never does any moral or spiritual or emotional or mental, mental or physical harm to any person. And it is only God's wisdom in this world that you can say that about. And then third, in the grand scheme of this passage, Solomon also then addresses the responsibility of the child who has the blessing of receiving a godly heritage, what they're to do with it, 
how they're to view that godly heritage and how they're to treat it in their lives. And in a nutshell, he declares that as much as Christian parents have a responsibility to raise their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, to raise you in, uh, with the blessings of a godly heritage and upbringing, that children of those such parents have a responsibility to then build on that heritage all our lives, all of our lives, and not to waste that heritage or abandon it or to throw it uh, away. In other words, if your parents did their job and blessing you with a godly heritage. Now don't waste it. Build on it for the rest of your lives. And it's a very good word. It's a very needed word. You notice the responsibility as Solomon lays it out to his children. The responsibility uh, that is uh, uh, incumbent upon a child who has received this kind of uh, uh, heritage, has the blessing of a godly heritage. He says in verse 1, give attention to it. Verse 2, do not forsake it. Verse 4, retain it. Verse 4, keep it. Verse 5, get it. And then he repeats it. Get it again. Don't stop at age 18 with a godly wisdom that your parents have imparted to you uh, while we are under their kind of uh, instruction and and, and their authority, but now on your own. Uh, grow out into it, seek it on your own in your adult life. And I think that Solomon, uh, as you see, in certainly in the New King James, as I read it here, as he's saying these things, and Solomon describing what David had spoken to him, you see exclamation points here. I mean, the urgency of a parent to a child to view their godly heritage um, in this way and, and to value wisdom in that way. And I think Solomon, at this point in his life, I certainly wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I think Solomon thought a little bit about, uh, it, it, ultimately, remember when David died, King David, and Solomon then became the king. And then the Lord came to Solomon and said, now you're the king, what do you want? Ask of me and I'll give it to you. And Solomon doesn't ask for power, he doesn't ask for money, he doesn't ask for any kind of material thing. He had a humility about his life early in his reign and he said, I pray that you would give me wisdom. I pray that you would give me the wisdom for how to walk into the throne room out of the throne room and the wisdom that I need for every decision I will make sitting on that throne. And God said to him, because you have asked for wisdom, I will give you the wisdom and I will give you power and I will give you uh, uh, wealth um, in addition uh, to that. And David had left Solomon with indescribable amount of silver, of gold, of property, of buildings, uh, of, uh, of, uh, uh, of power and, and authority. And as Solomon looked back on his life, he realized that the greatest thing that his father had ever done for him was to drive home the importance of wisdom, God's wisdom, 
So the day that when the day came and God made that offer, that Solomon knew what the, was the right answer to that question. And very few of us, in fact, none of us in this room, will ever be able to provide our children materially or in terms of, uh, of power or uh, wealth or authority what David was be able to bestow upon Solomon. But that's not how Solomon viewed the highest uh, wealth that his father had imparted to him. What he viewed to be the greatest thing that his father imparted to him was wisdom, godly wisdom. And the poorest Christian who may not have two quarters to rub together in their fingers before the next paycheck that comes, but raises their children with this heritage, have, have given that child uh, a, a childhood on a par uh, with King David. Solomon declared of the responsibility, our responsibility related to a godly heritage. Verse five, do not forget it. Verse six, do not forsake it. Love her. Verse eight, exalt her. Verse 10, hear her. Verse 10, receive her. Verse 13, take hold, firm hold of her and do not let her go. And he's beseeching his children in this regard. And he's basically telling his children, do not be the one that breaks that godly chain of a godly inheritance within the family. Build upon it all of your lives and don't waste it. And then Solomon closes the section in verses 20 to 27 by speaking to his children about how to do that. And in the same way, God the Father speaking through Solomon by the Holy Spirit to instruct us in the same way. How to view God's wisdom in our lives in such a way to esteem it so highly that we never abandon it and that we spend our lives building on it from glory to, to glory. And he lays out six things here. I'll only be a, a short period of time, so that can, that can dishearten people at this point. And the things that he lists are not extreme. They're not extraordinary. What they are is they hold up a mirror to our lives and they show us individually as Christians how much we esteem God's wisdom. Not just the children we're raising, but us as God's children. And here are the marks of children, God's children, of those that highly esteem His wisdom and are building upon their godly heritage. Number one, he says, give attention to God's Word, verses 20 and 21. It's very simple. Make God's Word the single greatest influence in your life over everything else in life. And there's a lot of influences in life. But if I esteem wisdom in the way that I should as a child of God, 
I will make that book the single greatest influence in my life. And then he says, second at verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence. And the heart represents the inner nature of a person, our thinking, our feeling, our emotions, our will. And so it, it encompasses the heart and the mind. And just as in ancient times, in, in battle, in warfare, the two great things that they wanted to protect in battle was to protect the mind, so they would put a helmet there, and to protect the heart, and so they would put uh, armor uh, there in that place. And just, be, just as the, head, the heart and the head were to be protected above all else in a physical uh, battle, the same things are necessary spiritually. Those are our places of vulnerability, our feeling and our thinking. And how in the world do we keep our heart with all diligence? By making the Word of God the single great influence in our life and making it the grid through which we run everything in life before we allow it a place of permanence in our heart, and our mind, and our soul, and our strength. We test everything by the Word of God. And then third in verse 24, put away from you the deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. And that is that we're to guard our hearts by protecting uh, them from ungodly influences. The lies and, and the deceitfulness, the, the perverseness, whether it comes in the form of electronics or it comes in the form of somebody verbalizing things to, um, to protect our lives from those, those influences. And so it's very easy, I think, to spot uh, perversity, um, to spot deceit when it comes against us as a Christian in the form, especially as a younger person, in the form of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, this is just obvious. Okay, that is, that's deceitful and that's perverse. But it's far more dangerous when it comes into our lives and through someone who uh, considers themselves to be a Christian and they are tares uh, among the wheat and they come in and introduce an ungodly influence into our lives and they begin to attack the, the high and the holy and the safe standard of God's word in our lives. And so positively here, Solomon declares in terms of putting away the deceitful mouth and the perverse lips from us, our lives are to be surrounded by people who are the exact opposite. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, I always think of it as room 222. I mean, it wasn't a great show, but whatever can help me remember, I'm, I'm kind of into it. But Paul wrote to, to Timothy and he said, flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. But he didn't stop there. He said, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Fourth, he declares here in terms of our esteem for wisdom and our godly heritage, verse 25, 
concerning our eyes, they're to look straight ahead. Our eyes are to be well-directed in life. They're the means, main means by which things enter into our mind and enter into our heart. And so we're to look straight ahead. Looking straight ahead for a Christian is looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of, of our faith. We don't need our eyes to explore every uh, degraded alleyway and uh, sin in life, but uh, to look straight ahead. And then in verse 26, we are to ponder the path of our feet. We're to, to very carefully think about uh, the path that we choose in life. If there's one thing that the book of Proverbs drives home over and over and over again is that decisions put us on a path, and once we're on that path, we're going to experience what's on that path, and all paths have a destination. And to examine the lives of people that are on the path that you're thinking about, and then especially examine the lives of people that have walked all the way to the end of the path, and then see what kind of a human being it has produced, and whether that is something uh, that you want for your own uh, life. And so the, the importance of taking everything into account in that regard, ponder the path of your feet. I never, as a, as a youth or as an adult, we are never forced to put our feet on a wrong path. We have the freedom to say no to those, uh, those things. We have more control than, than the culture tells us or that we even realize for ourselves. And to consider the path and, and then to say uh, no to that or make the decision on our own based upon the consideration of the path we're putting our feet on. And then sixth in verse 27, he said, do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your feet from evil. So again, as we, as we look at my, the, my life through these six things and, um, and the degree to which these things are a part of my life, valued in my life, practiced in my life, is the degree to which um, I esteem and hold dear my godly heritage and the wisdom of God. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your feet from evil. In other words, we need to have a resoluteness in our hearts by the Spirit of God to say no to sin and what is wrong and to say yes to God. It's called settling the issue of Jesus' lordship in our life. That we don't know Him merely as Savior, if, as if you can speak of Savior as merely but we know him both as Savior and as Lord. And the issue of his Lordship in my life is established. And he's the boss. He's the king. I do what he tells me to do. And that's a mark of someone who highly esteems a godly heritage and highly esteems uh, God's wisdom in our lives. And so you have three, three generations represented in this passage, and they teach us two things. First, to parents, that we have a God-given responsibility to provide to our children a godly uh, heritage, a godly upbringing. And then second, and just as important, to children, that they are, that we are, 
then have the responsibility to build upon that heritage for the rest of our lives and, and that that kind of heritage is never abandoned or wasted or thrown away on our part. And it's not just a command here. Solomon lays it out. It is that. But he presents it as wisdom. This is the way to live. To live in a way that blesses God, blesses our fellow man, and is a blessing to us. And so we look at our lives and the privacy of our lives this morning in our own hearts. And just to ask... Are you backslidden this morning? Godly heritage, somebody, maybe you weren't raised in a home where you had a godly heritage, but you got saved at 19 or 21 or 25. And you look back and you think about all of the hours and the sacrifice and the hard work that people poured into your life and into my life in order for me to have a godly heritage, belatedly, but a godly heritage nonetheless. And if I'm backslidden this morning, or I'm lukewarm spiritually, and that is not the way to handle a godly heritage, and, or I'm wasting my godly heritage in any way through some other means, then this morning is the day to recommit your life to the Lord this morning. And then to say, Lord, I want to re-enter this into this heritage uh, individually and, and related to my own life. And he will meet us there. And he'll draw us back into that. And then to recommit our lives as needed to imparting a godly heritage to our children. And so we can be faltering or failing partially or even miserably in our life in this regard as a Christian in terms of our, our children uh, presently where we look and we say, I'm frittering away not only my own life, but my child's life and these formative years to build this foundation and to say, Lord, I heard you. I get it. And then to return to that commitment to imparting a godly heritage to your children, to our children. And this morning, if you're not a Christian, here's what God wants you to take away from this place above everything else that you've heard today. And that is that Jesus is the wisdom of God concerning salvation. And he is the way to be saved. And all of this begins, this, is, this all needs to come out of a personal relationship with God. He is, he is God's wisdom on how to be saved and enter into this relationship with God. And Jesus said, for God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whosoever, that's you again, would believe in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and then begun this heritage in your life. Be born again by the Holy Spirit. Experience that miracle. It happens in an instant. And it can be yours uh, today. The day you'll remember. The day it was 108 degrees in Modesto. I got saved in July. 
And if you'd like to do that this morning, there are going to be pastors and mother, men and women up in front immediately after the service, and they'd love to pray with you to do that. Or if you need prayer for anything that we've addressed here this morning, or anything that is going on in your life, independent of even all these things. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer. Fathers, you know when I um, teach passages like this and these things that are so contrary to the culture and the indoctrination all around us, I always think about the fact that you're the only one that talks like this. You're the only one that says these things. And we're glad that you do. I'm so thankful that you love us enough to tell us the truth. You're wonderful. And Lord, we pray for one another here this morning and we ask that for every parent that is actively raising children right now, that you would provide them with the strength, provide them with the power, the patience, the love, provide them with the wisdom that they need to provide that child with the most priceless thing they can provide them with, and that is a godly heritage. Bless them, Lord, in all of their endeavors. We pray, Lord, for each one of us in this room that has received a godly heritage, whatever its form, however complete or incomplete. And we pray, Lord, that you would use this passage to keep us from ever throwing it away, ever abandoning it, but that we would spend the entirety of our life right on into the glory of heaven, building upon that heritage, Lord, in order that we might be the blessing to you that we want to be, the blessing to our neighbors that we want to be, the blessing, Lord, that you know that we need. And we pray and we ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen.